Hello, welcome back to Out Loud, the Selective Mutism podcast, the only podcast dedicated to selective mutism. I'm Chelsea. And I'm Anne, Chelsea's mom. To learn more about selective mutism and our backgrounds, you can listen to our first episode. Um, in our last episode, we talked about Eliza Shippenbloom's SCAT therapy, which is a treatment for selective mutism, so you should go check that out if you haven't already. We got a lot of interaction on that topic. Yeah, she actually reached out to us on Instagram. It was really cool. Mm -hmm. um, today we're going to be talking about exposure therapy for selective mutism. As Dr. Kurtz would say, living the exposure lifestyle. So before we get into it, I'd like to take a minute to ask you to go leave a five-star review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, and this is the best way you can leave us feedback and let more podcast listeners hear about selective mutism. A lot's happened since the last episode. Um, I went on a two-week trip to Japan with my husband, or Chelsea's dad, um, so that was uh, interesting. I'm sort of struggling with some jet lag this time. Yeah, and you've I'm... been sleeping every day at like four. <laughs> Just finally getting back on track. And uh, Chelsea, what's new with you? You've been... I've been waiting for my BA, BCBA test results, so I have a lot of anxiety right now. <laughs> <laughs> so that, you should be finding out actually t either today or this weekend. Yeah. So I'm sure you did well. I hope so. I'm sure you did. So that's, uh, that's what we've been up to. Uh, besides Christmas shopping and all the other holiday preparations, um, I think everyone's probably been busy. I just wanted to thank everyone for listening this year and for leaving us reviews. We kind of just got started, actually. It's only been a couple months since we've been doing this podcast, and we've seen a lot of growth, and it's really exciting. Um, stay tuned, and we'll let you know what's coming next year. We have a few ideas that should be fun. Mm -hmm. And keep sharing the podcast with your family and friends, because yeah. um, that's the only way we're going to... You know, continue to spread the word and to grow the podcast. Yeah, I've actually received a few messages on Instagram about people saying, I've never heard of selective mutism until I found this podcast, and thank you so much for making it. It's really cool. Yeah, I've had a lot of positive feedback. It's great. Okay, so uh, Chelsea actually came up with the idea for this topic on exposure, um, and what made you, I mean, I know you're a, going to be a BCBA, but um, hopefully I hadn't actually even heard of I'll be honest, I hadn't really heard of exposure therapy. So being a nurse and a mom, it's not something that I had heard of before. So okay. how did you come up with the topic? Well, I, as a psychology student in undergrad, you obviously hear about exposure therapy as a treatment for phobias, which mm. like if you have a fear of heights, you would expose yourself to um, different heights and eventually you would work up the heights until you feel like you're past the fear. So it's similar to that. Stephen Kurtz, I actually came across his video and that's what made me want to do this podcast episode. So he has a YouTube video all about living the exposure lifestyle, as he calls it. Um, so basically, it's all about practice. It's just increasing the number of opportunities to practice speaking or it could even be waving. It depends where the child is at. And he recommends four to six exposures a day to be effective. And I just want to point out that it is evidence-based. I know Dr. Yeah. Stephen Kurtz is big on it being based on actual studies and evidence. Right. Exposure therapy is, like, well-known to help with phobias and anxiety. So 
Um, first of all, we always say this, but you need to start with a fun and trusting relationship before you start demanding these um, challenging experiences. So exposures always smart, start really small and then they build up and the anxiety should lower over time. That's the goal. So I know as a, I'm just going to say this as a parent because I'm a parent and a mom and I'm not a I'm not a psychology major like you or whatever, but um, so when you say exposure therapy, it's basically practice, pra mm -hmm. uh, opportunities to practice your skill. It's facing your fears. Okay. So, <laughs> sorry, that's our dog. The <laughs> end it. I know. We normally don't let him in the room, but he was being quiet. He just sneezed. So exposures are facing your fear. So the only way to get past anxiety is to face what is making you anxious. That's the idea behind it. Um, so Stephen Kurtz is saying that this requires incentives and rewards, especially in the beginning. And he says no one ever becomes super dependent on things like that. It could be stickers. It could be token, a token system where they're earning whatever they like, honestly. It could be beanie, beanie mm -hmm. Babies are outdated now. We could say iPad time. We could say candy. Mm -hmm. Well, with you, we did stickers. Daily, we did stickers. And then at the end of the week, we did like a Beanie Baby. Right. Mm -hmm. So whatever your kid is willing to work for, um, he's saying that those are necessary in this experience because there needs to be a little something extra. You're not just... Like every kid with SM, I would say, wants to get past this anxiety. They don't want to be experiencing it and they want to beat it, but having something extra that you really want helps mm -hmm. and helps you push yourself more. Yeah, and I think as a parent too, um, just, you know, it doesn't have to be anything substantial. It doesn't have to be like a video game or, you know, something big and expensive, just a small anything. Like Chelsea said, it could be just be laptop time or time on your iPad, but we did even just things from the dollar store, mm -hmm. that kind of thing, and then a beanie baby at the end of the week. So I have some, before we get into all of Dr. Kurtz's um, knowledge, <laughs> we can talk about some examples of what exposures are, because I felt like he didn't mm -hmm. really go into detail on that. So you might have no idea what we mean when we say exposure. So you want to pick some kind of experience that would cause anxiety but isn't completely overwhelming. Like, you know your kid the best. You can probably figure out what this would be. So, for example, it could be signing out a library book? Yeah. Or... It could be. It could even be something without speaking. Right. Paying for something at the store. Mm -hmm. It could be knocking on a door. Mm -hmm. It could be playing, a, watching a video on your phone in front of people, which I would find difficult as a child. I know mm. I would. You could... Could be waving and at drop-off or pick-up line. Mm-hmm. Nodding your head yes or no. Yep, gestures. So Dr. Kurtz does say that every child should have at least four to six exposures a day. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, you should be able to actually list what those four mm -hmm. or six exposures were. And he's funny. He says, like... Oh, you should have already encountered four opportunities today, like this morning. Like you had, like the bus driver, if your kid takes a bus, like they, that's an opportunity to practice waving. You have saying hello and goodbye, that's two, to the bus driver. And then like meeting your teacher, you say hello or goodbye. But there, it's just like you run into so many opportunities and you, I think it's normal to 
when your kid has selective mutism, you're kind of, like, avoiding these, I think, or at least most of them, because it feels like you're protecting them, and, like, oh, they probably can't do that, but... And Those I thought, are all opportunities to practice. Yeah, I thought it was neat. He said, avoiding is a coping mechanism, mm-hmm. which is true. But, and it's effective. <laughs> right, because it's well-practiced. And he did bring that up. He said, um, typically, he said, your child will have about 100 opportunities a day to verbally interact that they don't. So those behaviors are so ingrained of not responding that that's their normal. So when you're trying to do exposures, you at least have to have that four to six a day because you're, you know, countering all of those opportunities that your child's had where you haven't or where the child hasn't responded verbally. Mm -hmm. So you have to have at least, say, five. Just pick five exposures a day. To track this, you can have, like, a sticker chart. It can be as simple as, like, a piece of paper with, like, check boxes. Like, you could put four check boxes for the day. And if you check them all off that day, then you earn something. It and doesn't I, have to be super complicated. Right. And um, and I just, to, just to say this, not that it probably needs to be said, but, um, you know, he, he really emphasizes that when you're doing the exposures, it's in the context of a fun, trusting, loving relationship and not a mean or punishing mm-hmm. um, situation. And you might feel mean doing this. And you might get pushback, and that's totally normal. It's You're experiencing something that's terrifying. A lot of the time your kid wants to do it, even though they're displaying like these behaviors, like crying or just trying to avoid avoidance behavior. Right, and he did say that, you know, right, when your kids do, I don't, want to, I don't know if he said the word tantrum, but basically when they give you pushback, um, they're trying to get you to back off, mm-hmm. to give up on the exposure. Um, but you need to, you know, practice a little bit of tough love, but also know where that line is. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe the exposure that you've come up with is too much. Mm-hmm. So maybe you need to back down a little bit, backtrack. I would um, say don't give up on the exposure, though. You can change it. You can alter it. So if you wanted to alter an exposure, you could, for example, if you're ordering at a restaurant, and if you couldn't, if the child couldn't do it the first time, you could maybe have them practice it or rephrase it so that it's less words, less effort, or it could even just be pointing to what you want on the menu, honestly, if you know that's all your kid can do to be successful. How should you approach that with your child? He has a mantra. It's a four-part mantra that you can say to your child. Um, So you start by saying, we love you, we care about you, and we know that it's hard for you to do whatever you're trying to do but I'm confident that you can do this and I'll help you by doing this. We know that this is hard, mm-hmm. we believe in you, and tell them how you're going to help them. And you need to be carrying this stuff with you everywhere, like the, uh, just some form of tokens or like a written agreement. Right, and he does say, I mean, exposures require you to use either a point or reward system. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the whole, how you track the exposures. And how you reinforce. Mm-hmm. So it's basically, right, teaching a new habit. Exposures are teaching a new habit. Yeah, so it is tough to break the cycle. One cool thing that he um, gave in a suggestion for was giving people rehearsed questions. You might you might have, like, a your doc, let's say your doctor doesn't really know how to interact with your child, and they might ask, like, too much of your child, like, 
oh, how was your day at school? Instead, you could give them, like, a card ahead of time that has, like, pre-written questions that you feel like your kid could be successful with. So you're kind of altering other people's behavior to make your child more successful. And practice those at home with your child. Yeah, these are pre-rehearsed, so it's almost like a script. It is a script. You're practicing things over and over and over until it's so natural. So he did say, you know, a good exposure ends on a positive note because you want the child to succeed. So if it's not going to end on a positive note, then probably you need to tweak the exposure. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. That's not a failure. It's right. just you overestimating the situation, I guess. Right. So if you, if the exposure, if they couldn't meet the exposure, I guess, complete the exposure, mm -hmm. he says to move back to the least, or the, I'm sorry, move back to the last thing they were successful with. So maybe repeat the exposure that they are successful with. Mm-hmm. And let's say your kid has mastered ordering food at a restaurant, for example, or they've mastered whatever exposure you've practiced. You would only alter like one variable at a time, so you're not going to completely change everything once they master it. You can alter the place, the person, or the situation. So you would maybe instead just alter um, the place. So say they order food at McDonald's, you could go to a different restaurant and have them order food there. It's mm -hmm. not like you're moving too fast. Mm -hmm. And you could even practice that at home, just to use the, the vocabulary or whatever, mm -hmm. have them... Beforehand, right? Right. I'm talking about when you already master it, though. So you're always moving forward, but slowly and in small increments. You're not like, oh, my kid did this, so that means they can talk to everyone now. Mm -hmm. You're not assuming. You're moving very slow. And they talk about for older kids, um, somebody was asking Stephen, Dr. Stephen Kurtz a question about, like, how do I get my older kids motivated? The same thing, pretty much. Like, you're using what they're interested in. Like, if they're interested in video games, they're earning video games. If they're interested in, like, YouTube, you're getting involved in, you're figuring out what they like. Right, I think he used the, uh, I was actually surprised. He said, you know, most teens have their favorite YouTuber personalities. Mm -hmm. And it's true. Which I, I still kind of out of touch because my kids are I do too. grown. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought, oh yeah, they do. Like you guys even know certain, you know, that's a new thing. Just yeah. All these YouTubers. So maybe give them time with their YouTuber person on the iPad or something, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Um, like you can use this in a way that isn't like, I don't know. Teens are harder, I would say. Like it might be more, they might feel like embarrassed if you're using like a sticker. You're not going to use mm -hmm. a sticker chart for a teen. Like you're going to say right. like, oh man, if you can do this, you get $5. Well, I don't know if money is a good idea. <laughs> no, money is. Huh? Yeah. When you were little. You use that as an example. Okay. When you guys were little, I had bought a box of like poker chips mm -hmm. and I would just give you guys, you were like, I had two colors in the box, red and blue. So each kid had a color. And so if you did some good behavior, whatever, but, something, you got a poker chip, and then at the end of the week, you could cash in your poker chips for a reward. Okay, but say I am 18 years old right now, and I will not talk to anyone. Like, how are you going to motivate me? Say I'm saving up for, like, the new iPhone. You're going to pay me money, probably, hmm. to do exposures. Uh, how about... Or I would be willing to work for... Like, it depends on the kid, but I think teenagers are going to 
need more than candy. They're not going to work for candy and not work for Beanie Babies. Well, I know, but maybe something that doesn't cost money, like Wi-Fi time or something. <laughs> I'm trying to be cheap. You got to figure out what motivates right. them. And if that's what motivates them, you got to be flexible, I guess. He was saying you can't expect somebody, you can't expect your child to go out of the house and do an exposure if you haven't provided practice at home. Mm-hmm. And I think that is true. He said, you have no right to expect your child to go out and do this to a stranger if you haven't practiced it at home where it's comfortable. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important. Practice, 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 practice until it becomes you know, like muscle memory. Yep. Eliminate surprises. Um, and that's an, you know, I think it's a lot of it's kind of common sense, but we just don't think about it, or at least I don't. You know, having a surprise, I mean, that's part of anxiety, right? Is mm-hmm. you're just so afraid something unexpected is going to happen. Yeah, that's the biggest fear. Right. You don't know how people are going to react to anything, and you're trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. And he he relates it to um, having to perform a play without ever rehearsing your lines, and all of a sudden you're up on stage and you're supposed to be putting on a play for everyone. It's the same feeling. Yeah, and I think we all, I get that, and I think we can yeah. all relate to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's all the time, every interaction. Mm-hmm. He did have one, um, I thought this was a good idea, but he said for teachers in the classroom that, you know, you can start off, if say they're doing an activity, to just to say to all the kids in the class, you know, you can answer from your seat or you can come up front and say the answer to me. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a good option because it's, you're giving a choice. You're altering things for them, yeah. Yeah. And it's not targeting one kid, like, oh, Chelsea, right? you need this extra help, so... He also talked about, like, say in the classroom, um, your child will speak to the teacher. You could also invite another person into the classroom, maybe, like, all the way across the room, and you're kind of gradually increasing um, people, or you're alternating the people that are involved in that interaction. And eventually you can kind of fade out the person that your child is verbal to with another person. So you're altering, then you have two people your kid is successfully verbalizing to. It's just interesting how you slowly fade in other people and trans- you're transferring control basically from one person to another. So one thing that I did want to share on the podcast because I thought it was really encouraging was um, when I think somebody asked him about whispering mm-hmm. and he basically said, don't worry about whispering. If your child's a whisperer, that's fine. He said he, he has never had a child who stayed a whisperer. So yeah. I almost feel like I'm going to say that again. He has never had a child who has stayed a whisperer. Mm-hmm. He said he had one child who whispered for three years, but he doesn't worry about that because the verbalizing and uh, eventually it will take care of itself. I found that very interesting. As a behavior analyst, I think that would be like a, definitely be a targeted behavior. You would say, oh, like this kid is talking, but they're only whispering. Like we want to increase that volume and focus on that. That could also be very aversive. It's like what they're doing is hard for them and they feel like they're doing so much. Like they're, it's taking everything they have probably to do that. And mm-hmm. if you're trying to work on increasing volume you may actually set them backward and it could be punishing that's Mm. really interesting Mm. and it's reassuring to know that you don't have to focus on that Mm -hmm. you can just be happy that your kid is talking so again um exposures he said you know start small and the exposures increase moving forward he said the goal isn't to lower anxiety which i was shocked kind of by that he said that will come on its own yeah 
Oh, another thing he did say about whispering was to, you could have them whisper from further distances. Mm -hmm. And then he brought up this example, um, which I thought was kind of interesting. And being Christmas time, I thought, oh, let's mention this on the podcast. He said, um, whispering, first of all, from a close or a nearby point. So using a, say, for example, a cardboard toilet paper spool, if your child whispers to you through that, and then eventually progress to whispering through a paper towel mm-hmm. cardboard holder because it's longer. And then you could go to the cardboard tube that comes inside of wrapping paper, such yeah. as Christmas wrapping paper. Mm-hmm. So maybe save one of those yeah. to use in this exercise. So you're gradually increasing the tube distance. And then eventually you could fade the tube yeah. out mm-hmm. and continue moving further apart yeah. and have them whisper to you. So That's I thought cool. that was kind of cool. Another thing about whispering, which I think everyone who has someone with selective mutism understands that oftentimes they feel like they're yelling when they're actually whispering. And if you're asking them to repeat themselves or talk louder, that really hurts. (laughs) And I think I'm still triggered when people ask me to repeat things. Like, I hate repeating myself. But I feel like kids with selective mutism feel like they are yelling. Like, they feel so vulnerable using their voice. You may think they sound quiet, but they're being loud. Mm-hmm. in their and, head and I do I remember I, I don't know if you were in high school but you kind of went through this phase where you would not repeat yourself mm-hmm. and it was tough on dad because for some reason dad could never hear you the first time you said something everyone tells me I'm soft-spoken too but yeah I just hate repeating myself it's like I mm-hmm. put all that effort into speaking and now I have to do it again yeah, so just to mention that, because I'm sure, obviously, you're not the only one. And yeah. I mean, I don't think you do that anymore. I remember there was a specific period where you would not repeat yourself. I still don't like repeating myself. Mm. Sometimes I'll wait, and then the person will say what I said. So I'm like, you did hear me. Why do I? <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to say that um, with these token systems, it may seem like you're relying on these stickers and stuff as they make progress being successful is the reinforcement. Your kid is going to be so proud that they're being successful with these exposures that eventually they won't need stickers anymore. Mm, That's a good point. Yeah. Um, And another thing, just, you know, I guess, again, being the parent, um, I thought it was interesting that he said tantrums, if your child's having tantrums, that is actually a response to fight or flight. Yeah. So don't think of it as a tantrum. Think of it as sort of a gauge of the fight or flight Mm -hmm. response. I don't like, well, I'm a behavior analyst. You never say behavior is good or bad. Mm. It's always trying to tell you something. And behavior that looks like a tantrum is just someone who's trying to survive and escape an anxiety-provoking situation. Right, so I guess that's a tough line between, so then do you back down the exposure? Do you scale the exposure back? The intensity of the exposure? Yeah, but you're not back, you're holding your demand. So the exposure's not going away, but it Mm -hmm. might be adjusted. And so then, just to reiterate again, his mantra, he says he has a four-point mantra. So again, and I would actually grab a pen and write these down. We love you very much. We know it's very hard for you. I'm confident that you can do this with me helping you. And tell them how you're gonna help them. It's actually funny. Um, a little about a year ago, I was under a lot of stress, and I have this like procrastinating thing I do where I put off phone calls, and it gives me extra anxiety because then I have all these like I have a giant to do list 
because I like lists, but I just put all the things that I feel like I can't do on there, and I put them off and put them off. I was seeing a therapist at that time about anxiety, and she told me, well, today we're going to call one person on your to-do list, so this is an example of exposure therapy. I had to call them, make an appointment or something, and that's just one example of an exposure. Now they have everything. You can do everything online, so you don't have to talk to anyone, but the idea is that you're never going to get past that fear if you don't right. make yourself do it. Like, obviously, there's ways around things like that, but it doesn't mean it's the best option. Yeah, you always got to push yourself. Yeah to continue to progress. <laughs> I'm still working on some things. Yeah, and I guess for me that the take home was, I mean, I'm kind of past this now, but I and I was guilty of it, rescuing you. Mm-hmm. But this really, but I now realize I was more enabling you. Right. Um but you see your kid in distress and anxiety is horrible, but that's the only way to get through mm-hmm. it. And you're always going to experience that anxiety if you're not exposing yourself. Yeah, so I think that's the take home. But not only to put your kid in these situations where they have to perform in an exposure, you know, a parent has responsibility too to provide the practice at home. Mm-hmm. That really resonated with me when he said, you can't expect your child to mm-hmm. go out and do these exposures if you haven't practice, practiced it at home. Mm-hmm. So, Rehearsal is so key. Yeah. yeah, so that was important for me to hear. That's it, really, on exposure therapy. Hopefully that has helped somebody or taught somebody some new um, mechanisms to help your child. Go watch the video. I'll put the link out on our social media and in the show notes so you can watch the whole um, video. Okay, I think that's it. That's all I have. Uh, Anything you want to add before we wrap up? No, thank you so much for listening. I think this is probably the last episode of the year. And we'll be back in 2020. I'm hoping, I'm planning on releasing like a little trailer for what you should expect um, in the next year. Okay, so thanks again, everyone. Thank you for listening to Out Loud, the Selective Mutism podcast, the only podcast dedicated to selective mutism. 